Hello, grace and peace. We're taking Anarchy to Church here on the Anarchist Bible Study. I'm Josh, a.k.a. IOANCAP, and Jeff, a.k.a. Are we going to sh- finish this video yet? We'll be joining us shortly. Uh, and, of course, the answer to that, a.k.a. is no. In fact, we're about halfway through the video at this point. Eh, a little bit less. Uh, but... Uh, we are going to we are releasing it at a little slower rate because we had a few guest episodes we wanted to put out um, in a more timely manner. But if you would like to see the whole video in one fell swoop, you still have time. You can go to buymeacoffee.com slash flyover and become a member at one dollar a month and you get access to the live stream every Sunday at 10 or 1030 about and you also get access to the stream after we're done up to two weeks after we record it. Although we're going to leave this one up uh, extra long since we're releasing it so infrequently and, and slowly. Uh, and so if you and if you want to double back and see the first part that came out in episode 32. So go check it out there. We're kind of continuing some of his um, economic illiteracies and actually we get one of those famous ion cap freakouts in this episode so that's something to look forward to um so without further ado let's get into sh- into the show all right let's let's take the next thing i think the next point will bring us back up today gaining usurious profits from lending to those in need of borrowing money uh i mean I don't know. That's that's one of those things that I, I, I get a little bit torn on. Like, I don't know. Is it? Well, I guess who gets to say whether it's a usurious profit? I yeah, suppose. There's, there's uh, a is, yeah. Is, um, um, because I do think I, I do think, I do think there is a, um, a principle of uh where it is possible to exploit yeah. people um by charging usurious rates yeah. um for loans but it's hard for me to say it's hard for me to identify um like i don't know it seems like payday lenders are kind of doing that to me yeah um that's and that, but, but that's that's an interesting example that's an interesting example go on well i was going to say but it's like, if these people otherwise cannot receive a loan, then who's to say, like, who am I to say that that isn't actually the correct rate for them? I mean, I don't think it is. My tendency is to say that this is, um, that this is functionally, the, the business is based on fraud in some way without, yeah. without yeah. actually looking at their books yeah. and knowing that for sure. Functionally, I would say that the business is based so, on, fr- on fraud in some way, but it's, it yeah. is, um, but like, again, they are the one institution that is lending the money. <laughs> so yeah. maybe no throw stones is the one institution that is lending well, the money when no other institution will. And, well, when, and when by his own ad- admission, yeah. he's saying they do need the money. He said, um, you serious rates uh, yeah. on loans to people who need the money. So if they need the money, then... Yeah. But let's talk about that for a second. Like, let's start at a baseline. Let's assume a completely free market. Why would you ever give a loan at a rate at which they cannot repay it? 
Like that that right. doesn't actually make sense. Like like it's like banks talking about like you know like I remember talking to a mortgage agent and they're talking about like um, banking and uh, credit and stuff like that and they're like you know we as a bank don't want to be in the homeowning business. Like that's not what we want to do. And so we're not going to give we're not going to lend out money to people who we think are going to default. We don't want to own a we don't want to own a house. And it's like that's a great point. Like that's not what their business is set up for. And so it is in their best interest to give a loan to a person who can pay it back or who they're sure is going to pay it back. Now, if you're not sure someone can pay it back, like there's not a, a sufficient, you know, like what is credit reports? Essentially, you know, like uh, proof that you pay back your debts. So true proof that you are trustworthy. And, and maybe I don't had don't have that background, so it makes a little bit of sense for them to raise the interest rate. So at least they're sure they're going to get something back, right? They're going to get something back. They want to make sure that they're going to get something back for their donate their their not donation for their mortgage for their for their loan. Um, and so and it also like a higher interest rate pushes the uh person taking the loan to think, do I really need as much as I'm asking for? Like, can I do with a little less? Um, but think about this. What, which would they rather have? Would they rather lend to someone who's going to pay back everything plus the interest or would they rather lend to someone who's going to default quickly? Well, payday lenders largely lend to people who are going to default quickly or, or who are just going to stop showing up and they're not going to be able to find them to get their loan back. Why is that a good business model? Like we should start asking that question. Like why does that work for them? The fact that they lend money to people who uh, who are notoriously bad at paying back their loans and at rates at which it makes it hard for them to pay back their loans. And so eventually, like honestly, most of those people, they don't default, they just disappear, right? Yeah. Like they just disappear. And they run from their debts and just stop paying it. And then, well, well, why does that make sense? Because we live in an economy where the, in a fractional reserve, fiat currency, central banking economy, where you, by lending, they are lending out money that they don't own. They're not hmm. reaching into the storehouse and pulling out a stack of coins or a stack of bills that they own. They are lending out money that does not exist. Like this is how the fractional reserve central bank system works. Now, some people will argue that fractional reserve would work without a central bank. I don't know. I that's we're out of my depth at this point. But I know that fractional bank, fractional reserve with the central bank, that's how it works. Is they lend out money that doesn't exist and they're given permission to do so at exorbitant rates by the central bank who's going to back up their loan. And so they can lend out this money because it literally doesn't exist. And so every dime they get back is invented money. Like they are making money off of, they're literally making money off of nothing. Like that's well, how these loans work. You also have the very, uh, the very simple fact that um, because of the existence of taxation, if I can write off a defaulted loan, if I'm a lender, yeah and I can write off my defaulted loans, yep. then 
it's already creating like a perverse incentive yes. where it's not as harmful to me yeah. <laughs> when when um, the uh, borrower defaults as it sort of should be in a free market. Yeah. I I mean, I just think about it in a free, in an actual free market where I'm giving my money out at interest. It is at, in my best interest to keep that interest rate at such that they're going to pay it back plus the interest that they're not going to get in over their head. They're not going to end up underwater. It is in my best interest to make every dime that I gave to them back plus some. And so usury in the sense of like exorbitant interest loans, it's just, I, I just don't see how it exists in a free market. It, it doesn't make sense uh, like on principle. And, and so we're already thinking like you're blaming on the free market. You're blaming on capitalism. What it, what is the state's problem? And this is the issue again and again is we only see the effects of the mixed economy and then we blame it on the capitalism side and then the solution every time come in state and solve our problem but the state is the problem the state is the one who made the problem and so you're at it's like it's like hiring your arsonist to put out your fire like that's what we're doing is we're hiring the arsonist to put out our fire and it's it's not it's not the. It doesn't work out the way you think it is. It's not the free market right. that you think it is. I can't remember who uh, who made this analogy, but I heard uh, someone else make the analogy that it's um, it's like you're having a state fair, um, a state fair, sorry, uh, um, a uh, or a county fair or whatever. And being um, the home of the best um, state fair in the world, we know what those are. Yeah, exactly. And and so um, so yeah, you you've got the Iowa State Fair, let's say, and they've decided to have an adult pig, an adult pig beauty contest um, uh, one year, and they're and because adult pigs are are fairly universally ugly, there are only two, there are only two entries, and so they bring out the first entry, and um, and uh, everyone looks at the pig and goes, "That's the ugliest pig I've ever seen. Let's let's just give it to the other one." Well, you haven't seen the other pig yet. Yes, <laughs> like, and, and 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 uh, and so whenever whenever you're you're blaming the results of yes a mixed economy on what you're calling the free market, as in the market that's freer than the suggestion you're about to make, yes. you haven't seen the other pig yet. You haven't yeah. seen how unjust and how terrible it's going to be under the system that you're now proposing. And the and the results speak for themselves. Since the Great Society, uh, income inequality has gone up, or wealth inequality has has only risen. Uh, wealth uh, poverty, which used to be a temporary situation, has become institutionalized and generational. And uh, we have and we have this new this new uh, category called billionaires. As the, the the fiat money keeps flowing into the hands of Wall Street speculators well, and bankers and war profiteers, and and yeah. all the while, we're spending enough money that if if somehow that money were just given to all the poor people, there would be no poor people. 
poverty would be eradicated if it were just given given directly to them but because there is no advantage to the state to actually eliminate poverty it's done in these roundabout and ineffective ways um so that we we spend so much on alleviating poverty um that it does um that that easily poverty could have just been wiped out by yeah. default just just by the very fact of just handing the money over but of course um and and i think that would be a mistake for other reasons but at least at least it would have then it, it, at least it would have accomplished what we said we're doing instead yeah. because the state has no real because the the department that eliminates poverty ceases to exist the next year <laughs> they have no institutional uh they have no institutional motivation to actually accomplish the job of eliminating poverty so right. so we're trapped in this endless cycle where these things are getting worse despite the kajillions of dollars that's been thrown into it yeah 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 and absolutely and of course you know there's the additional issue of that we keep talking about this as if you can just throw money as if you can just give money to people but of course you know this is the same issue that every time we bring up every time we bring up secession uh all those fun all those hilarious blue staters are like uh all the gdp comes from our blue states so good luck with that red states and i always respond good luck eating your money because what do you think you're going to eat your money? Like, that's not how it works. You can't just throw money at, at things and expect that to like, that, like that's what's create like that money creates wealth. You can't invent food out of thin air. The price system, the fact of hiring people to do low, to do entry level jobs, the jobs that need to be done is still the best system because in that system, Work gets done, products get made that increase and improve the life of people, and especially food gets made, which is essential for actual life. In the end, in the end, it is better for a person to go work for a farmer for a low wage than it is for them to receive welfare benefits because then the farmer is producing more food and the person is ha also ha making the money to buy the more food that is being produced. It's a better right. system yeah. than, and, and this whole idea of, of lending usurious rates, you know, like, again, you're right. We haven't seen the alternative. Um, right. Let's keep going. Exclusively pursuing the profit motive instead of exclusively uh, oh, sorry, I, I cut him off halfway. But exclusively pursuing the profit motive. Of considering justice and the common good. Instead of considering justice and the common good. The price, the, the profit motive does serve the common good. Why yes. do people <laughs> make things? Why does the farmer produce more than he needs? Why does the farmer produce more food than he needs so I don't have to have a farm? So I can do other things. Because making money is his goal. He wants to make more money so he can take his family on a vacation to Disney World. Right. And so 
There's more I was about to say produced. is that his actual goal is to take his family to Disney World. Money right. is a means to that end. Therefore, right. he has the profit motive to work harder for that. Yes, the profit exactly. motive is what results in production because they make more things and they find more effective and more efficient ways to make things. Therefore, cheaper ways to make things so they can make more money. And then someone else comes in and copies their 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 pro, their way of making things and they find that they can undercut them by a little bit and make more money because they have more uh customers and then that forces the other person to lower the price and it works out for everyone this whole beautiful system without any central planner ends up creating cheaper goods for people because someone else wants to take their family to disney world like this is the profit motive serves the greater good far better than any lame justice speaking priest ever has. He's producing no goods. And in fact, if he has his way, there will be less goods and there will be more starving people because they're considering comic good and just instead of trying to make money. And, and, and also screw you for <laughs> denigrating someone wanting to make money to bless their family. I'm sorry. How dare you? How dare you set, like look down on someone who's tr who's seeking to make a better life for his children by trying to make a profit? Like I'm sorry, just mm, as a father, and which by the way, this priest isn't. One more strike against the Catholic system. He has no idea how a father <laughs> thinks, how a person who has to think long term thinks. This is. High time preference bullcrap, and that's what happens when you don't have children. Because I, having children, have a motivation to try and make more money. Because I want to see the smile on their face when I buy them Pokemon cards. Because I want to set them up for life and, and so that they don't have to figure out things and start at square zero when they turn 18 and they, they have to go off to the real world. I am trying to... I'm working hard. Like, why, why am I seeking side hustles alongside of my very low paying job is because I want I want to bless my children. I want my children to be better or at least to have them not starting from zero. And so screw you for looking down on that. I'm sorry. I'm real that makes me mad. As a dad who wants to see what's best for my children, who wants to take my children to to help them to see uh to see better things, uh to to to, to have experiences so that my kids don't live this dreary stay in the house existence all their life so they can have experiences and see things and 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 so I am never going to begrudge someone else of that. Now, certainly, there are people who are out there who are single Wall Street bros who are just making stupid money, doing stupid things, and 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 shoving it all up their nose and drinking it all and ruining their livers. But whose fault is that? Whose fault is it that that Wall Street single uh, Wall Street bros? make all the money. It's not the free market. It's not the free market. The fact that this fast and loose money gets pumped into Wall Street. It is central bank baloney. <clears throat> That's what's happening. Once again, right. you are blaming the free market for what is a statist situation. 
right. in a free market, so it's not, it's not going to happen. It's not that there, it's not that there aren't injustices. It's just that there's a misdiagnosis of their cause, which is, yes. which is why, which is why the mercies of the wicked are cruel. Is that if you, if you can't, if you can't understand the, um, the why of the system, if you can't understand, um, if you can't understand what the real enemy is. Um, then, um, then you're going to you're going to set it about helping in the least helpful ways, uh, you know, like like the United States does by by helping countries w into democracies. Um, of course, only only certain countries, but anyway, um, like the like the United States. Um, does by helping <laughs> countries join the uh, world economic system uh, uh, of central banks by uh, by economic warfare, by sanctions, and by um, and so um, so yes, it's not um, um, it's not like injustices don't exist, but um, but if you if you misdiagnose the cause of injustices, then you can't help. You can't, um, and uh, and so and so and ultimately, there has to be a. You have to have a certain level of of humility and understand there is a. Um, this is the good part of of conservatism, which is that um you you don't you you don't assume that an intervention and a change will be helpful rather than hurtful um is that is that you don't assume that you're so wise as to improve a, a situation without thoroughly considering <laughs> whether this would be an actual improvement or not and to and to thoroughly consider it, you have to actually understand all the all the causes. And and in a complex economy, um, which is just to say, um, which is just to say, the the free interactions of people with each other, at least before the state <laughs> before the state gets involved. Um, it, but in this in this massive over seven billion strong web of interrelationships um that we've that we've made that make up make up the economy um no one person is wise enough to understand what would actually improve and fix the situation yeah. okay a little more we are cruising at three minutes <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's let's keep going. Putting capital above the notion of human labor, promoting the gospel they Okay. Capital above the notion of human labor, promoting capital over the notion of human labor? Let me, Okay, let me be clear about this. Your labor is worthless. 
If I work super hard writing a book that no one wants to buy, my labor is worthless. If I, okay, let's talk about this. If, okay, we just started fundraising. If, or not fundraising, um, <laughs> taking uh, support. Uh, Griffin, Griffin, yeah. <laughs> if, I, in the end, if in the end we are creating a product that no one wants to support, we can't go out there and say, but we're working so hard. You owe it to us. Right. No. If we're not creating a product that people want to support, then it is not, then our labor is worthless. Like, that's how it works. Like, like people have this idea that I worked eight hours, I deserve this money. No. You could sit outside digging a ditch for three hours and you would get nothing and it would be worthless. And you just dug a ditch that is meaningless. Unless you are being hired by someone to dig that ditch. Don't people see the grace that that is? Like the mercy that that is? That suddenly the thing that you're doing is valuable because someone else is paying you to do it. Because someone else sees a value in it. Because someone else has a, out of the profit motive, thinks that it is a worthy investment to give you money to do this thing. Like this, this idea, like, okay, like, what is the, again, what is the alternative? Valuing capital over, over the value of labor. Well, your labor is meaningless if no one has capital. Like, like, what are you going to do? You're going to work at a meat packing plant that doesn't exist? Like, unless someone has the money to buy that, uh, to, to pay for and to, to build this meatpacking plant, your labor was going nowhere. In fact, your labor is going right on your butt on a couch. Unless this person puts their own money into this capital. And what are they supposed to do this out of the goodness of their own heart? No, because they want to bring their family to Disneyland. <laughs> Like, that's why they're building this thing. It's like, it's like, once again, the profit motive drives this person to set up a situation in which your labor is no longer worthless because they think it is a good investment to pay for your labor in order to get the outcome that they're desiring. Like, and investment is the correct word. Yes. They are the ones fronting the cash. They are giving you cash now for product later. They're the ones taking the risk. They're the ones. Yes. Um, <laughs> they're they're the ones um, letting you. Uh, they are enabling you to make a more productive end of your labor yeah. because you because you don't have to worry about how you're going to eat between the time yes. you start working and when you have a marketable <laughs> product yeah. at the end. <laughs> Why doesn't everybody start a business? Like then, then their labor goes directly into their own pocket. It's because they know that it comes with the risk that they could lose everything. And so someone has to take that risk to lose everything in order for you to have a guaranteed wage. And that, that, that risk thing is so great. And of course, you know, Patrick says in the, in the chat, the boss is paying you for your value now on a product the boss will hope to make a profit on later. Like, yeah, that is that is such a good deal for the worker. And but but if if the capital owner is willing to put the risk on that, don't they deserve the more money if it works out? Like they took the risk. Like are we seriously thinking like the guy who took the risk deserves less money on the back end if it works out? 
Like that's that's stupid. That's insane. That's that, and also if that's the way we're going to treat it, no one is ever going to create a business in which your value has your labor has value. And as as David Jones says in the, in the chat, capital increases what labor can do. Yes, your labor is more effective because someone sunk money into a into a better uh, a, a better machine or they sunk their mind power into developing a better machine so your labor does become more valuable so that your so you can make an increase in labor in, in 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 wages and 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 like we we look down on this person who this this lord this gracious lord who is willing to bring other people into their operations for a guaranteed paycheck because they're taking a risk hoping that it pays off later and we're like screw that guy I, it's, it's illogical. It's the type of illogical thing that we say when we are one-dimensional thinkers. Like, ultimately, this is the problem with this sermon. I'm going to throw up the air quotes every single time. This sermon is that it is such one-dimensional thinking. And... And, yeah. and David Jones made this... Uh, made this point about an hour ago when he first heard this this line. <laughs> he, he says, uh, "Putting capital above the notion of human labor, this guy would have you dig with your bare hands instead of a shovel, shovel, or better yet, an excavator." Yes, yes, because no one is paying for a shovel. Right, and that's <sighs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and. And that's yeah. And Patrick brings up a really funny thing that you're seeing around now. If you can't afford to pay me eighty eight ninety an hour right now, maybe your business shouldn't exist. As the person who's also fight who also fights against big business, because the only person who's going to hire at eighty eight dollars and ninety cents an hour is the big business. And also, like, just what's super ironic about that is if you can't pay me eighty eight ninety, you shouldn't exist. Well, the reality is, if I can't afford to pay you eighty eight ninety, your job won't exist. Like that's how it's actually right. going to work. I'm not going to pay you, so you're not going to. Your job isn't going to exist. If if that's the minimum wage we're saying, yeah. yes, yeah, right, um, right, yeah. Let's let's keep charging. Well, and this is and 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 all this is by the way why like these the the solution the solution of well let's just run thing run more things through the state and let the state supervise projects and then pay people for them. That's why this doesn't work um, is because um, the the state is extracting money from me um, to pay someone else to complete a project that who gets the benefit from when it's done? The taxpayer generally, but there's no there's no accountability, which is why, you know, there's the there's the old joke of the the three city workers, Andy, Bob and Charlie. Um, who their job is to plant trees on the side of the road. So they figure, you know, being industrious chaps, um, they they do come up with a division of labor where Andy will dig the holes, Bob will put the trees in, and then Charlie will cover them up. Uh, but then the the foreman comes along one day and and um, and sees that something's not going quite right, and he so he goes up and and uh, and uh, Andy and Charlie tell him, well, yeah, Bob's homesick, but the work must go on. I'll wait for you to get that joke. 
but but the but the problem is if if the government is the one running this project why not continue to pay them every it's no one's actually no one's actually risking you you've you've already extracted the wealth from people um there's 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 not a um there's not a this huge risk that this project won't pay off um if if it's not being done efficiently if if the if the prices that you're paying for the inputs are it don't <laughs> don't match the value of the output there's this this risk doesn't exist um in the in the public sector in the same way so so the motivation to get these things right to to make sure that the wages you're paying are are commensurate with the value being produced that uh to make sure that the project is being run efficiently it just can't happen in the public sector because there is not this kind of entrepreneurial motivation like there is in the private sector, which um, and so that's why that can't be a solution um, here, because because ultimately ultimately you've lost any indication that what's being produced is of commensurate value with what's being extracted. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's keep going because we're 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 going to take all night to get through a sixteen minute video. Otherwise. Uh, <laughs> Let's, 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 let's see, uh, let's, let's, let's keep going a little bit. Promoting the gospel, they call it, the free market, and this laissez-faire economic system where some invisible hand magically makes all things right. The market can do no wrong is an unquestionable dogma. Huh? Like, that's... No one says that. The only people who say that is our detractors. I gotta be real. Like this, this idea. Like, first of all, that we exist in a laissez-faire economy is laughable. Is downright hysterical. Uh, but, like, no one actually says like the market is like this, this, this good force. It's that. It's just. It's that. It's the least corrupt. Like, like it, that, that there's like no hands in the pie taking is, is going to, and, and, and the, the unfree market is picking winners and losers so that the, the industrious young father who wants to do what's best for his family by starting a business, he can't do it because the, the, because the state is in the pocket of the gov of the, of the big business. And unless, by the way, the fact that this, the, the, uh, the video is showing Wall Street tickers is hilarious. Like you're, you pick the least laissez-faire aspect of our economy uh, in order to criticize laissez-faire. Like Wall Street is the most croniest, uh, big state involved. It, it, it's, it's so foolish. And, and like, and, and Patrick, uh, Patrick points out in the chat, like the invisible hand by Smith that he points out is the hand of God. It's the hand of the market. It's the hand of God. He's absolutely right, because uh, because it's a product of nature. God has infused in creation. That's exactly right. This concept that that's intelligence mixed with 
uh, hard work mixed with patience, which is the biblical virtue we, uh, which is the biblical virtue that we in economics call low time preference. Like this mixture of these things pays off that you are willing to forego pleasures now for greater good later. And so you're willing to to go to take in less money in order to keep more money in the business so that you can keep building the business and you're willing to eat a meager meal today because you know that down the line you're going to have some have money to give to your child when he's heading out into the world or or even a job at your business or a business to hand down to him like this 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 idea of industrious work and 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 intelligence and using your wisdom and the wit to 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 like this is a divine a divinely ordained state of beings like i think if this person got their head out of their socialist textbooks and head into the proverbs they would see this idea of the the free market which is really just people working hard and getting what they earn is a is a a thing that is blessed by God. And the industrious and again, woman can laugh at the future. Right. And it's, and, and also like this, this idea, like the, that, that this personification of the market that he's, he's, he's coming at, like no one does that. No one actually believes that we believe that this is a fallen world and that there are still going to be people who try to cheat each other in the free market. Um, but the beautiful thing is that in the free market, once people figure out that this person is cheating people, what is it? What happens? Word gets around. Don't go to that person. They cheat you. What happens in, in this world? The cheaters find themselves a congressman to pass a law outlawing their competition. And they right. cheat on up. Or or they find a way to get government stimulus in order to... And, you know, to, to well, convince them they're yeah. too big to fail and, and they and yeah and what happens when the cheater is stalin what are you going to yes. do then <laughs> like there's the big question there's the you big can't question. go nowhere at else at the top of the line like the scum rises to the top because there is better uh there is a better incentive for the plunderers to rise in government than there is for the people seeking the good, the common good. Why? Because the person seeking the common good knows that that would be better served by building a a a by building a business that they can hand down to their child instead of taking the risk that their child is also going to be uh, elected government into government. Like it's the, the plunderers find the greatest uh, the greatest access to. Um, to, to their plunder in government. And the, the stronger the, the centralizing control, the more possibility for plunder there is. And, and th let's not even get into the revolving door between uh, the, the <clears throat> government agencies and the agencies that they supposedly oversee. The fact that you go, the, that uh, most of the people who work in the CDC formerly worked in pharmaceutical companies and probably after they're done at the CDC, they're going to go back to the pharmaceutical companies. Does that not make anyone a little bit question what they're doing? But this is what happens when you centralize. And of course, um, but Patrick makes a really good point in chat. Um, he says the cheater is Stalin. Uh, Romans 13. 
you know, obviously. Good point. We hadn't thought about Romans 13. Thank you for Drink. that. So, <laughs> Drink. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, but, but of course, and then he says, ducks and reformed. Uh, <laughs> uh, can we keep going? Uh, yes, I think uh, I think we uh, I think we can. Yes, okay. I, it, it, just well. It, sorry, sorry, but you know the the old um, uh, Bonnie and Clyde adage when they were asked uh, why do you rob banks? It's because that's where the money is. Okay, so what if even more than the the banks, <laughs> um, the money is in this constant flow of money coming into yeah. the state. So then that's going to attract the Bonnies and Clydes. Yeah. That the, 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 so now now the 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 more um, the more extraction the state is performing, the more attractive it's going to be to criminals. Yeah. <laughs> um, to to be uh, to be there. So you want to uh, like one of the best ways to uh, to ensure that you're being governed by better people is to have less money, less power and less influence available. <laughs> yeah. At which point it's kind of like, well, you know, why bother? Well, that's why I mean, welcome to, my, the club. welcome to the club. <laughs> my whole, my whole, um, my whole campaign in, in like the education space is um, let's make the governing body that decides uh, if we, if we can't, if we can't just get rid of public schools entirely, which would be fine, but if we can't do that, um, then let's make the governing body that governs public schools, let's make it so small and so decentralized and so driven down to the bottom level that it would be unattractive for anyone to be involved in making decisions for that school unless their kid goes there. <laughs> um, yeah. Like that's the only way it could possibly be attractive is there, there's just Absolutely. no power, no money, no influence, no yeah. prestige to it. So you could only be motivated by my kid goes to the school. Yeah. So I want the curriculum to be good. Right. Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. And I'm going to make a homiletical observation at this point. Part of the reason that we are starting and stopping so much in this video is he is making no long form arguments. He's True. just dropping yeah. little nuggets along the way. Aphorisms. Like little aphorisms and, and just stating them as if they're true and moving on. And does anyone, like, I'm sorry, maybe there's some people watching who are not from expository traditions who don't uh, follow traditions where, where you open a text and you follow the logic of the text and you just, you work through that text trying to pull out the meaning of, it, of the text, seeing the way it develops through verse by verse um, study and you are more in this tradition, do you not see how massively irresponsible this way of preaching is? Because even if he's right, he's giving you no reasons for why, for explaining why he's right. He's giving you no grounding. He is just stating things. So what happens, if, if even if he's right, what happens when you meet these big bad anarchist meanies who are disagreeing <laughs> with your interpretation. We are tearing apart his arguments point by point because he's giving no arguments. He is making statements and moving along. 
Like, this is why I'm convinced that long-form expository preaching is the most responsible way of preaching. It is the real only way to act. For one thing, I think it's the only way to actually preach. I don't think it, I don't think this is preaching. If you're not preaching God's word, you're not preaching. You're just talking. You're just, this may as well be a motivational speech. But long-form expository preaching is the most responsible way of preaching because it gives you a grounding so you don't just have a collection of aphorisms. You're not just walking around with a collection of aphorisms that, that are disconnected and unproven, and then you meet someone who is willing to give an argument, and you therefore, because they're willing to give an argument, therefore you're like, well, the aphorism falls apart. Even if his aphorisms are true, he's giving you no reason to believe it's true. And what's more, he's just pulling aphorisms out of the air. He is just literally just giving you his own ideas. If there's any scriptural backing to what he is saying, He's giving you none of it. And so how do we know that this priest is giving godly scriptural wisdom or just his own stupid ideas? I know that I'm not getting that that I'm not getting the stupid the, the stupid ideas of the preacher when I'm watching an expository sermon. And I know I am not getting an unproven aphorism that I'm not going to be able to stand up in because they are giving detailed exposition of the text and showing you how the idea comes out of the text. And so they're grounding you in God's word. It's not their word. It's God's word. And they are carefully explaining the principles. They're not dropping disconnected aphorisms that are meaningless and easily disproven. And, and yeah, even if the the scriptures and the and the economic logic that we're giving weren't enough for uh, for a particular audience, then um, then maybe a more extended commentary. Um, from uh, someone who who uh, might be listened to by some of his this person's parishioners um, where he says the fact that God has given the earth for the use and enjoyment of the whole human race can in no way be a bar to the owning of private property for God has granted the earth to mankind in general not in the sense that all without distinction can deal with it as they like but rather that no part of it was assigned to anyone in particular and that the limits of private possession have been left to be fixed by man's own industry and by the laws of individual races. Moreover, the earth, even though apportioned among private owners, ceases not thereby to minister to the needs of all, inasmuch as there is not one who does not sustain life from what the land produces. Those who do not produce the soil contribute their labor, or possess the soil, pardon me, contribute their labor. Hence, it may be truly said that all human subsistence is derived either from labor on one's own land or from some toil, some calling, which is paid for either in the produce of the land itself or in that which is exchanged for what the land brings forth. Here again, we have further proof that private property ownership is in accordance with the law of nature. Truly, that which is required for the preservation of life and for life's well-being is produced in great abundance from the soil, but not until man has brought it into cultivation and expended upon it his solicitude and skill. Now, when man turns to the activity of his mind and the strength of his body towards procuring the fruits of nature, by such act he makes his own that portion of nature's 
field which he cultivates, that portion which he leaves, as it were, the impress of his personality. And it cannot be, uh, but be just that he should possess that portion as his very own and have a right to hold it without anyone being justified in violating that right. I read all this at length because this is uh, uh, Pope Leo VIII in an encyclical called Rerum Novarum, basically smashing, <laughs> just smashing <laughs> the very foundation of this guy's argument. Yeah. Yeah, but that's, I mean, that's so 200 years ago. Uh, <laughs> yeah, what, what, let me actually look at the date on this. I, I didn't, uh, yeah. um, I didn't, I didn't look. Um, it must be at the bottom. Um, uh, oh, May eight, oh, 15th day of May, 1891. Um, oh, yeah. and so, so there years, you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, more. Oh, um, nice. So, 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 yeah, I mean, um but like this guy's arguments aren't particularly new they were being yeah. answered um they were being bb they were being answered by the pope 200 years ago yeah let's keep going yeah <laughs> when they think of free markets i always think of the term used in the 60s free love let the market just sort of handle itself no no intervention let young people just sort of, you know, hang around each other. There'll be no problem with issues of lust. No. And the court. <laughs> what? <laughs> 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 what? <laughs> what? <laughs> this... this is why I wasn't allowed to bet on what time you would have uh, your pat one of your patented IOA cap freakouts um, because what? I would have known pretty much where to bet on. <laughs> 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 I just that's the most non sequitur I have ever heard like it's just like the word free is in both like okay well good work you nailed it buddy there's the word free in the free market and free and free love that is the connect that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard like the, the whole point of free love was, wasn't like let's let no like first of all his characterization of free love dumb like this is like <laughs> that like the, that was the idea that for, that like young people are gonna hang out and like there's gonna be no problems with, no free love was literally have sex with whoever you want that was the whole point of it free love baby <laughs> you don't have to be tied down by monogamy that just stupid the your your analogy is stupid and you should feel bad about it and but but like the the the, the free market association Free market is not by nature immoral. Like free market, yes, it can be used for immoral means. Certainly, and we're not denying that. There are that's why economics is just 
one aspect of moral philosophy. And a moral society is not just going to be an economic society. This is a problem that we have with, with uh, degenerate type libertarian is they are seeing only part of what makes for a, a strong society. This is why I keep bringing back the concept of free market to the concept of fatherhood and families is because a actual thriving free society is going to put both together. Like, and, and, and the, 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 the degenerate lifestyle pursuer, like I'm making money just so I can pursue my own pleasures, that's not going to last long. They're going to end up uh, like the prodigal son, eating the pods out of the pig's uh, trough. That's what happens every time. You are going to smoke that up your nose eventually, all, all of it. But... But the, the, but you it can just as easily be used by the father who is attempting to forego pleasure, the pleasure of his own life, and forego even like living a, a modest lifestyle with his family in order for the possibility of living a better life later. Like that's also possible in the free market. There is no like even <sighs> this guy like he's just he assumes only the negative, the most negative part of a free market like that possible. And yet he doesn't see that. You know what else is free market, bro? When you pass the plate later and people start dropping money into it, that's also free market. That's people voluntarily giving the money, their hard earned money. So idiots like this can keep on making sermons. Like it's, <laughs> it's, ah, okay. This is the dumbest art. This is the dumbest non sequitur. I, I, ugh. but I have a, I, I, I have a solution for him. I have a solution for him to the problem of free love. I think, <laughs> I think the way this should, I would think the way this should be settled is that we should have a sex czar who gets to tell everybody what sexual transactions they're allowed to make. And that person should be voted on by the public and we should install our sex czar yeah. and let yes. him make all the decisions as to who may, who has sex with whom. And that you know, will obviously lead to a more moral society, right? And right? obviously- We all believe that's how it's gonna work, right? Obviously, <laughs> and obviously the best people to look for are experts in sex, like people in the say pornography industry or the prostitution <laughs> industry. Like that's how it happens every freaking time, guys. That is how it happens every single time. Yeah. The people who end up in charge of these organizations are part of the massive lobbies that are most against moral use of these things. Like that's how it happens every single time. I swear, like you say, if you set up a, a department of sexual uh, wellness or sexual uh, wisdom that is over in charge of who you get to have sex with, by in 20 years, it will be, what is that dude? That guy, the bald guy who everyone's putting on these memes of, of the, the, like he, that porn star, he is going to be in charge of it in 30 years. <laughs> That's what's going to happen. Or let's just take a, I, I know more famous, Ron Jeremy will be in charge of that organization in 30 years. <laughs> That's what's going to happen every single time. And do you really, Mr. Catholic dude, do you really think that in the end, Ron Jeremy's going to be like, you know what I think is best for society is for uh, fidelity and chastity? No. No. Because you know why? Because if we solve all the problems, people are going to ask her, why does this organization exist? Exactly. Uh, and the scum rises to the top every single time in government. 
You always assume it. You assume it. The scum is going to rise to the top because they are going because the people who want plunder, who want a piece of the action, they are the ones with the most incentive to get in there. And also, the people who want to plunder on the private side are the most likely to put their buddies in those positions and they have the money and power to do so. So you want to institutionalize uh, you want to institutionalize uh, uh, pornographic power? Go ahead and set up your uh, anti-free love czar. And, and it's <laughs> right. the same exact thing with the free market. This guy... Oh, this, mm. Yeah. Because it's not going to be so Rabamari in like two years. <laughs> right? <laughs> Have you ever, and have they, have they ever heard of the government pushing uh, a traditional moral lifestyle? Like, have you ever seen a government agency set up to push traditional moral lifestyles? Like, you see senators pushing it, but no government agency ever exists to push a traditional moral lifestyle. They are always somehow undermining the family. Department of Education, taking away your kids so that they're not being educated by the parents. Department of Welfare, Health and Human Services, uh, funding single motherhood and institutionalizing poverty. Like, it's it, every single time the government gets involved, it lowers the instance of traditional morality. And so you really want to, you really think that getting the government involved in the free market is going to result in more morality in the marketplace? No. That's not how it ever works. There is no track record to think this uh, will ever happen. And, you know, Patrick says, uh, family, you mean people who are holding kids for the government? Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, and also, uh, I'm sorry for using the words father and mother earlier. I meant uh, birthing persons. <laughs> <sighs> Let's keep going. And while we're making corrections, while we're making corrections, um, I was quoting Pope Leo the Thirteenth. Pope Leo the Eighth would have been a lot, a lot longer ago than oh, that. Uh, that's way more than so. 2500 I should have, ago. I should have. Pope Leo the Tenth was the one with Luther. I should have, yeah. I should have been able to realize that that Eighth would have been pre-Reformation. Thirteenth, yeah, post-Reformation. I, mean, I read my Roman numerals wrong. Sorry. What I mean. <laughs> Who cares? They're all antichrist. Um, <laughs> and that's another reason why we'll never get Tom Woods. All right. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's keep going. Problem with issues of lust? No. And of course, the Scrooge mentality adores the concept of free trade, though it might dismantle and even hurt the manufacturing base of a nation turning machinists and tool makers into service workers that flip hamburgers and earn far less demanding an um uh of course we have to define free trade here right okay i like sure of course what he means by free trade is moving in industrial 
work overseas. Like I think he means international free trade, not free trade in the sense of free trading between people. Um, and then he's. I think he means international free trade. Yes. And there's. Okay, so there is a point to this. This is where the conservatives make a point. Like the the conservative, as in the the protectionist <clears throat> conservative, makes a point here. Um, but really, the the real question is, what is it that led to these businesses going overseas? Like so many people, first of all, people will be like, well, it's because the government is funding. Uh, and, and giving money so that we can make cheaper goods. So the government is is propping up the industries. Well, of course, as everyone, as, as many are pointing out about China now, they're a bubble waiting to happen. Really, like the big issue: why can we not compete manufacturing wise with other countries with these countries? Also, well, how about the fact that we tax the living daylights out of them and and so we tax them out of the market. And so it actually makes more sense for these companies like GM to set up manufacturing places around the world where the taxation is not going to hurt them as much. Like, you know, I, I've heard lots of people say, like, you know, the big thing, how do you bring uh, industrial jobs back to America? How about stop taxing industrial jobs into an oblivion? And so let them compete. Like, I, I'm sorry, like, do you really think that American products are going to be worse than products made by children in China? Well, no, but the reason they're willing to make crappier products isn't because they think people want crappier products. It's because it doesn't make financial ch financial sense to make good products in this country. Like, the problem isn't free trade. The problem is high taxation. And, and and yet I, I get his point. Like the if all we're seeing is the fact that, that jobs that give dignity and the chance to increase your wages and grow and we're seeing it all go overseas, like that is disheartening for the common person. But once again we're seeing the wrong enemy. The enemy is not China, the enemy is our own government that is not a lot that is pricing manufacturing jobs out of business and well and and way. certainly we can oppose a free trade agreement that takes 1400 pages to write instead of one sentence mm -hmm. we ain't gonna <laughs> we ain't gonna put tariffs on your stuff and you ain't gonna put tariffs on ours that would be an actual free trade agreement yeah. instead we're talking about the 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 free trade agreements are basically a system of international regulations yeah. on trade, which is the opposite of what most people would mean by free trade. But but this is so so again again like you knock I'm that as the free market, but you knock that as the free market, and it's like we don't have a free market and we don't know what it would look like because yeah. this movement towards free trade that we have seen has 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 meant the, this multiplication of regulations of yeah. trade between nations 
Um, so trade has become less free, but more abundant, perhaps. And 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 so it 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 gets it gets confusing at that point. But yeah. but like we don't know what an actual free market between nations would look like because yeah. we've never had one. Yeah. <laughs> we jump straight from mercantilism into this fake yeah. free trade. Yeah, and 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 so like what I'm saying is like he's wrong, and yet I'm le- I'm less mad at him about this one because I see why people say this sort of thing. Like it is an easy error to make. And yet it goes back to the same thing I've been saying about him over and over again. He just says things and he clearly has never engaged with his opponent. Right. He clearly has never engaged with his opponent. He is engaging with uh, slogans of his opponent. And, and that is never the sign of a good argument is engaging with slogans instead of arguments. And if you're going to give this homily, first of all, don't. Second of all, if you're going to give this homily, you you do well to actually engage with the best of your opponents. In which case, you're going to have to settle for less aphorisms and more quote and more logic. Um, but you know, anything to avoid dealing with the scriptures. Yeah. Hold, hold that if 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 what you're really begging for is for him to quote one of his opponents, just hold that thought. Oh no. <laughs> okay, let's, let's keep going. <laughs> workers that flip hamburgers and earn far less, demanding an absolute right to property, no matter the circumstances and needs of others, defending even child labor and exploiting workers in sweatshops? Are there no workhouses? Claiming that no worker is underpaid, no CEO is overpaid, and so many other Scrooge-like concepts that have created the concentration of wealth in the hands of the few, while the common man is often shut out from the free enterprise system. Okay, first of all- Ready to start eating healthy? I'm about to go to (laughs) to an ad. Um, second of all, okay, uh, once again, he's making statements no one has ever made. Like, no one ever makes the statement that there's no CEO. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get out of this, um, just so, uh, we're not watching an ad. Um, but, first of all, that's not an argument anyone has ever made. Like he's he's not engaging with a real a- opponent. Like he's there, this is a straw man. Like this this idea that there's no CEOs is overpaid. No, we are absolutely certain that there are CEOs that are overpaid. Say, the CEO of Raytheon. Massively overpaid. Should not be paid that much. There should not be a uh, the military industrial complex to such a degree that Raytheon, Boeing, and they all make so much money. I think banking CEOs massively overpaid because they get the first taste of that fiat currency. Uh, all of these, there are plenty of CEOs that are overpaid. There are plenty of workers that are underpaid. Like I, 
I know that there are workers who are underpaid. Absolutely. In the sense that I wish that their situation was better. But, but really what we mean by underpaid is that they live in a destitute society where their money doesn't go as far. It doesn't matter. Like, like you think about like, well, you know, there's millionaires in Zimbabwe, like so many millionaires in Zimbabwe, but their money goes nowhere. Like that there it's, it's a worthless currency. And so like, but, but these all, like all of these situations do not land on the foot of the free market. They land at the foot of the state. Like if, like, I don't, it's like at, at some point we are doing the same thing he is and just saying the same thing over and over again. Like we, we've made the argument, but like this, the billionaire does not exist because there's a free market. The billionaire exists because fiat currency is so freely flowing into the banking and Wall Street uh, sectors. And because government contracts is making uh, weapons manufacturers buku bucks. Like that's why these these billionaires exist. They don't exist because because like it's natural. Like that's that's not natural. Billionaires are not natural. Fat cats get fat and lazy, and the 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 sleek Tom comes along and undercuts them. That's what happened to big fat cats. And let's talk about a free market. A free market for movies because you cannot justify. Uh, uh, <laughs> because you can't justify throwing government money at Blockbuster. Uh, Blockbuster got big and fat and overweight and did not continue to to stick and move. And so uh, sleek Tomcat Netflix undercut them and put them out of business. That's what would happen to every business if there weren't businesses getting, like at, sucking at the teeth of the government. He's kind of a crude metaphor. But... But that that's that's the cause of these things. And if there were a billionaire without government intervention making that person a billionaire, then what we're saying is that um that enough of us decided that um it was worth that the product or service that they were offering was worth more to us than the money they that we paid for it. We're talking about if there's no force involved, there's no compulsion involved, then the only thing that could possibly mean is that enough of us decided that whatever product or service they were hawking was was worth more to us than the money that we paid. Um, and that happened so many times that they have more money, which is to say they have fulfilled more desires than they were able to turn around into fulfilled desires of their own. Yeah. And, and so, and, and, um, and so with the example of, of say Amazon, Okay, so Jeff Bezos has made, and and it's possible that Jeff Bezos has made some of his money because of government intervention and because of sweetheart deals and because of what it's it's entirely possible. But let's assume that he didn't for a moment. Let's assume that it is purely free market and that's how he how he has all his money. Um, 
the, and by the way, most of his money is actually Amazon stock, which yeah. means that it's not actually liquid cash. It's not accessible to him, but, 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 okay. But let's just assume, um, uh, then, then, um, if you want Jeff Bezos to give back some of his billions of dollars, then what of the time saved and products delivered are you willing to give back from Amazon? Yeah, yeah. And even if you are willing to make that trade, you obviously weren't when you made the exchange. So maybe you were foolish, maybe you were wrong, um, but but provided that no one stuck a gun to your head or compelled you in any way um, to make the exchange, then you at the time desired the, the convenience and the product that Amazon delivered more than you desired the money that you exchanged. Mm -hmm. So if, if he has to, if, if he has to give back, so do you, because there were two sides of that transaction. And we're, and, and we're very concerned about the side of that transaction that did not immediately get their desires fulfilled, that got, that, that was delaying the fulfillment of their desires to a future date, which does not seem like a particularly Christian, <laughs> um, uh, a, a particularly Christian outlook is that, uh, to, um, uh, to to be deeply concerned about the side of a transaction that is looking for immediate fulfillment of their desires rather than delayed gratification. Yeah, because that's what money is. Money is money is a measure of delayed gratification. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I I'm gonna try and back it up just a touch and hope that we don't trigger the advertisement again price his system and yet oh scrooge sorry. i did want to make one other point i did want to make one other point okay. um he 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 talks about defending even child labor yes yeah i'm going to defend even child labor yeah um because because i think it is it is not caring or kind to to say that a uh 13 year old in an impoverished family in papua new guinea um should because my 13 year old would be in school that 13 year old has to be in school when when their family is going to be considerably worse off with them in school especially if they have to pay for it whether through voluntary exchange or through taxes, um, that family is going to be worse off with that child in school than they yes. would be um, with with that child working. And the child is going to be worse off, potentially receiving an education that they cannot use as opposed to working their way up. Look, if there were no child labor laws and um, and no minimum wage, then um, rather than paying for school, a child could be earning um, money at a job, which we already 
everyone thinks this is okay because you think internships are okay, which are you working at a job for zero money. Um, and, uh, and so if you think internships are okay, you obviously should think that working for $2 an hour is okay. Yeah. <laughs> if, if that gives you valuable experience that you could then, that you could then apply to improve yeah. your job prospects in the future and Probably into a better job and, later. And, and frankly, I believe that there are a lot of children in the world, maybe even in the United States and Canada, but certainly in other parts of the world that would benefit more from pushing a broom for $2 an hour for a while than going to school. Yeah. That, that, that the education is just not actually that valuable to them yeah. than yeah. the work experience, than being expected to show up on time, than, um, um, than, um, being out in the real world and having to communicate with people of various different ages and and life situations that 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 is a, a kind of invaluable experience um to someone for whom education is never going to be their main um their the the main reason they are able to make money yeah and and yeah. um and so so it is it is not caring or loving yeah. um to to again to when you're trying to help poor people the place to start is usually not by eliminating the option they chose yeah and that would apply even to child labor yes and also once again screw you for saying that children should starve instead of work right like that's what he's saying like like to, what do you what do you think what do you th what let's what do you again once again you are not considering the desperation desperate situation they're they're in so what kind of situation would lead to sending a child to work at the age of nine a pretty desperate situation that's a pretty desperate situation that's that is a hard situation uh first second are you sure that if you take away those jobs to the children that they're going to be better off? They're going to, you think they're going to go to school? If their family is starving enough that they need to work, do you really think that they're going to go to school? No. They're getting, getting they're going to get into drug dealing or they're going to get into prostitution. That's what happens every single time. Every single time. So how dare you so, so how dare you advocate for children going into prostitution? How dare you? At least that they're wor they're working a dignified job for very little. Yeah, but it's better than nothing. That's money that they can use to pay for food. Like, how dare you? And second of all, like you're right. Second of all, like, you're right. My children do not. Oh my goodness. Uh, I, I, my children do not need to spend eight hours a day in a school. They can work much quicker. They do as much, if not more, at home in less time homeschooling so what should they do with the rest of the time learn to become lazy and 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 watch tv no why not get a job why not build up valuable life skills why not make some money learn the value of money learn how it works learn how to use it how to save it how to manage it like is that he's 
And again, I just I keep wanting I go back to like what do you do you think the baseline of existence is that children go to schools? Like you think that's what happens if we start over society? Uh, you think that's what's gonna happen? Like if there's a EMP knocks out the grid, uh, and we're all starting from from as farmers again, you think we're gonna send our kids to to school? No, they're gonna work hard on the farm, on the family farm, because we have to. You're gonna work hard at the butcher, at the whatever, in order to make money because we have to. The situation changes and we go back to a pre-industrial society. Children have to work. This is the pinnacle of first world problems. This idea that our kids shouldn't have to work. This is first world bullcrap. And I'm sorry, preacher, I'm sorry, priest, Go work in a third world for a while. Come back and tell me that these kids shouldn't be working. But I, I, I just don't see it. I don't see how it couldn't be entirely ruining a child's future to, at 12 years old, send them out to the pasture to defend sheep from lions and bears and all sorts <laughs> of... All sorts of, and of course, I'm describing King David. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's going to ruin that kid's life. Run that should have been life. in school instead. Yeah. And no one would have killed Goliath. Like that's <laughs> that's the result. You just you just ended Israel, Pastor. Way to go. <laughs> ah, let's keep going. And yet, Scrooge would have his defenders today, even among so-called conservative. Catholics. Libertarianism, you might have heard of that term. Libertarianism has become fashionable amongst many traditional Catholics, but it's nothing more than another form oh, of liberalism. Our boy Tom Woods! It's our boy Tom Woods! There he is! Oh, there he is! The church in the market! Oh, that, that, there's our boy right there. Oh, finally, he it's like so he's saying that that libertarianism is becoming popular among among traditional Catholics. First of all, I don't care what's popular among traditional Catholics. Uh, I don't really care. But but like once again, is he gonna ask the question of why it's becoming popular? No, he's probably just gonna straw man some more. But <laughs> there's Tom Woods. There's our boy. I I would like I would like to point out that. Um, um, he did not take two hours to say the word libertarian. Um, we just took two hours to get him saying the word libertarian. He took four minutes and 44 seconds or so. Oh, we have a problem. We have a problem. Let's keep going. Liberalism condemned by the church. Okay, hold up. What? Any form of liberalism, heard of that term. Libertarianism has become fashionable amongst many traditional Catholics, but it's nothing more than another form of liberalism condemned by the church. Any is is it is it really? And and, and it, the, which liberalism is that? Once again, this is a situation where like uh uh, it's a situation where does uh, we do this all the time where we import the meaning of modern liberalism into classical liberalism. Is, is that what he's doing here? I don't know. Um, 
it's hard to say. Like, I, I, I don't know enough about the Catholic Church. Like, have they? I don't know what he means by liberalism? liberalism being condemned. Yeah, I don't know what he. I, I don't actually know what he means by that. Once again, this is irresponsible preaching. He is, gives no explanation. Gives no citation. He just states something. Um, e- even if you, even if you have to be a Catholic, run from this priest. Uh, <laughs> he's going to give you nothing. Uh, note the subtitle, by the way, on this book that is being Im- implicitly recommended here, um, A Defense of the Catholic Church's Teaching on Man, Economy, and State. Uh, Wonder where that subtitle came from. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm also willing to bet that he's never read any either of these books. Anyway. Um, Maybe not. The person who put the video together, maybe. I feel like the person who put the video together has read The Church and the Libertarian. Um, and that's, I believe, a response to The yeah. Church and the Market, the Thomas Woods book. So I think, uh, um, uh, so uh, yeah, I think maybe the person who put the video together has read this one, <laughs> the Christopher yeah. Ferrara. Uh, but if you recall from listening to Tom, um, he and Christopher Ferrara had a big falling out over exactly this point several years ago. Um, and, and they publicly buried the hatchet during COVID, um, because they found themselves on the same side of that. Um, and, uh, but, uh, um, but yeah, so they had a big falling out. I think Ferrara wrote this book as a response to Woods's book. And that's, and uh, they had a big public falling out after having worked together oh. for some time, and even written together, I believe. Interesting. Okay. Well, that's interesting. I had no idea. I'm not. I just. I I, ha, I am way behind on Tom Woods' show. I. Fair enough. Found myself with children. Um. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. But, okay. So okay, I've I've i I searched on newadvent.org just to see what he means by um, uh, liberalism being condemned. And um, and so the liberalism that I can find being condemned um, is ecclesiastical liberalism, so so theological liberalism. Um, Which they should condemn. Um, right. So this is, we're talking about They modernism. haven't condemned it hard the, enough. Theological liberalism <laughs> finds so much of its... Right. Like, yeah. So it says it was condemned by... Pius X as as modernism, okay. So a modernist infestation theologically, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. And no then, way. and then, um, an, in another place it says by proclaiming man's absolute autonomy in the intellectual, moral, and social order, liberalism denies at least practically God and supernatural religion. Okay, that in that sense condemn away <laughs> um no way. uh and uh and but yeah this is um that's what i'm finding in terms of liberalism being condemned so if we're talking about theological liberalism um then uh and that's most of what i'm finding just in terms of um and then yeah and the papal syllabus of errors as well and yeah that's most of what i'm finding okay. is we're talking about theological liberalism um, yeah. is what we Which would call it at least. To be fair, does in, in many ways 
come from this concept of liberalism, but it, it makes important developments on it. And I think fixes many of its errors. Because in many ways, the good aspects of liberalism that we, we often promote uh, did come with some of these negative aspects. Like there, you find this, you find both in people like, for instance, John Stuart Mill. Uh, you find the, the theological liberalism and the throwing off of God as authority, in, in, as well as the political liberalism. Um, and I think libertarianism, by limiting its scope, becoming a thin ideology, um, overcome some of those problems of liberalism in order to, to, to promote political liberalism without all the baggage that came with it. And, and you know, whatever. Um, and by the way, I think, I think we are looking at, uh, just to somewhat address a, um, uh, something in the, in the chat here, I think, I think we are looking at a very conservative theologically sect of Catholicism here. Like, I think, I think we're, I think we're hearing from a very theologically conservative angle here. So I, I, I don't, I don't think, um, um, uh, I don't think the references to Tom Woods and Christopher Ferrara are because they're considered like way outside the brand of Catholicism that these people practice. I think I think this is I think this is actually this is this is the this is the milieu that these people are in. So these are the references that make sense to make. So I think we're talking yeah. about a very theologically conservative brand of Catholic, um, but there's a there's a, 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 a which, which direction to go on on liberalism politically speaking as in classical liberalism and yet ironically they're using socialist arguments like they are making con like and i don't mean that in in the way that conservatives mean anything that's left of center is socialism i mean they're like labor theory of value is a communist argument Right. That's Marxism. Like they I, and are in fair in fairness, it's in fairness, it's also Adam Smith. <laughs> just because yeah, yeah. we haven't had but, the marginal revolution and the manger and, and the <laughs> and yet Mark but 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 the way he's using them are in Marxian ways yes. or Marxist ways. So ironically, the the conservative help ultra conservative at this point finds a strange bedfellow in the Jacobin magazine. And so yeah. I think that well, and to the point that I can quote Rerum Navarum against him, an encyclical written against socialism over two hundred yeah. years ago, is is uh, um, is is yeah, it's uncomfortably close to yeah. a socialist frame of I argument. I think that's for sure. something that like the traditionalist conservatives who are making a comeback should really consider um, that this is what's going on. And also, maybe just read the Bible some more. You'll see that we're right. Um, let's keep going. Any <laughs> form of the ideology of liberalism is opposed by its very nature to Christ the King and his kingdom. Again, oh, any form... That's a... Okay, what? They're going after Papa Hoppa on that one. I'm yeah, that that's another Ferrara book. So, so it oh, seems boy. like... It seems like he likes... He likes <laughs> poking <laughs> the. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, it seems like he likes poking um, 
at a, so he's read Ferraro's read our works clearly, and he likes poking at them with his titles. Because um, yeah, can that's I be a little controversial though. I'm gonna argue that that is libertarians libertarianism's biggest weakness is the mm. fact that it was constructed by a bunch of seculars. Like that for sure. If, if, if there's a weakness in libertarianism, that's it. That it was a secular ideology, and 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 this is part of the reason why I love Hoppe, but I'm a little uncomfortable with argumentation ethics, is because mm. it's it's an attempt to create a secular foundation for ethics, and I am never going to yeah. be comfortable with something like that. Like I can I can understand it as an aspect of an argument, but the fact that he's trying to create what he's calling an unassailable grounds. Uh, that is a secular ground. I, it's not going to come. You're not going to get there. The only right. unassailable ground is the moral law of God, and I think exactly. I can construct a better libertarianism out of the moral law of God than. Uh, oh my goodness, I'm about to get in trouble. Than Murray Rothbard could. I, of course. I I think building a on the moral law, and I think in many ways to to use our friends the presuppositionalist language in many ways uh rothbard by building on a natural law tradition was stealing from our worldview yes like he was he was stealing from our worldview in doing so this idea of natural law natural rights that's that that me that's meaningless unless by nature we mean something that was created by god and, and filled with the moral law of god uh and so I'm, I'm, I'll just, I'll just say in defense of this book title, I don't know anything about the book itself. Um, I, and, and I really don't, I don't care enough to read it, <laughs> but, but that's, that's, uh, I don't know, in, in favor. You read one, you read one chapter a week and it's already spoken for. I mean, <laughs> that's right. Well, I, just, I I read other books, but man, I I have become. <laughs> no, I, I gotta say, I gotta say, I'm, I'm reading a, f a few books at a time now. Uh, I I always read actually a few books at a time, but um, the older I get, the more aware I am of the fact that I do not have time to read every book that's ever written, and I've become more economical about which books I read. And I've, I frankly decided that theological reading is more valuable to my time than political and economic reading. That might change in the future. I might get back into reading uh, politics and economics, but I've kind of decided that I'm, I'm okay gleaning what I'm, what I can from those who have read these books by listening to their podcasts, reading their articles, and it's just. And I'm not saying that no one should read these books. I'm saying. For me, I'm just becoming more and more aware of, you know, the, the economy of my time, the, the the scarcity of my time. And I have to figure out what is best used, what is best, what is a better use of my time. And frankly, reading Catholic, inter-Catholic arguments is it's not worth right. my time. Uh, you <laughs> no, have to convince course, me no. the whole worldview of Catholicism before I uh, start reading what Catholics say about libertarianism. I'm just saying. 
<laughs> uh, let's keep going. The king and his kingdom. Again, by its very nature, to Christ the king and his kingdom. Okay, Again, any Sorry, form of liberal, any, any form, form of, form of the right. ideology of liberalism is opposed by its very nature to Christ the King and His kingdom. Okay, okay, um, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing where he's going. Obviously, we've talked about this before. You can watch it in episode one where we define what we mean by anarchist. We are referring to human kingship, uh, by and right. okay, merely human kingship. Uh, right. <laughs> when we oppose rulership, it's it's that sinful man is not worthy of rule, and is uh, and that rule by by uh, sinful man will always result in tyranny, and so we are opposed to it and we are willing to fight it, uh, for that reason. But as we have said before, and I, I as I as I've said before. When Christ returns, at that at that point, I will cease to be an anarchist in any sense. When right. Christ returns, I will cease to be an anarchist in any sense of the word. I will be a monarchist of Christ the King. Uh, right. But he is the only man worthy of rule because he is the one who, instead of seeking rule for himself, humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. And therefore, because he did so, his he has been exalted to the name that is above every name. He is the only man who rose to the top not by being scum. And also, he is the only one who has the right to rule by virtue of purchase of creation and by right of creation. So he, is mixed, he mixed his labor with this world in that he deserves it and he has purchased it by his blood and he is worthy of reign uh, uniquely and he is the only sinless the only sinless king by virtue of his being also God um, and so yes Christ the king at which point, at the point he comes back, I will cease to be an anarchist in any sense of the word. I will cease to be a libertarian in any sense of the word. Mm -hmm. I will gladly right. take the authoritative king. And it is always wrong for any human to say, we will cast his bonds apart. We, we will... Uh, that that we will oppose the kingship of High King Jesus, that that um, that that we will not let God be king over us. But we see the pattern in scriptures that one of the chief ways that we as humans do that is by setting up merely human kings yes, over us. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and so that's what we're trying to avoid. That's what we are. That's what we are preaching against. First Samuel eight, Israel's great sin of wanting a king instead of God as their king. That is the great sin that is at the heart of everything that goes wrong with the rest of Israel. Everything that goes wrong in the rest of history of Israel comes from the fact that they wanted a king like the rest of the nations. Yes, the Lord used it for good to bring about his perfect yes. king. But that's what the Lord does. He works right. through human sin to bring about a better good. That's what he, he does. Used the most, he used the most evil act in human history to bring us a, our salvation. Yes. That doesn't <laughs> so. make the crucifixion of Jesus good. That's something that we have to keep 
Yeah. We have to keep emphasizing just because God brought about salvation by virtue of the greatest evil that ever occurred, as you say, the crucifixion of Jesus, does not make the crucifixion good. Like that, in the sense that Pilate was actually doing a good thing. Pilate did a great service to humanity. He's a good man because he just saw... No, that is the greatest sin. It's a grave, grave sin. And handing over Jesus just because it led to salvation does not make Judas a good person. The greatest sinner of history. But, let's acknowledge that we are over-interpreting the fact that Christ is king that justifies kingship. Massively, it's an over-interpretation. Over Massive over-interpretation here. Of course. Um, in fact, the Bible just as often says it the other way around. Or implies it the other way around in the case of Psalm 2, in the case of... Absolutely. Uh, in the case of the Tower of Babel, in the case of Revelation, Revelation yeah. 13, 17, 19. Yeah. Yeah. Keep on. Again, any form of liberalism is opposed by Christ and his kingdom. Liberalism, in short, is a philosophy. And when it's concerning philosophy, it always leads to rationalism, reason alone. Liberalism in politics, and you'll find it there too, is irreconcilable with Christ and the church, for it leads to the denial of Christ's social reign over society. Fair points all. Fair points all. That is, uh, and really when I say that the, 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 the flaw of the, the, the greatest problem with libertarianism is that it is secularist, um, really is that it's rationalist. This this pursuit of a rational foundation for everything. This is the problem with modernism. This is why conservatism of, of J. Gresham Machem or the, you know, the fundamentalists opposed to the modernists, um, what they were opposing was this rationalism, this idea that you could build a worldview on reason alone. And fair points all. And um, this rationalism ap ap applied to politics is always it does it it does result in a tr attempt to throw off the the social reign of Christ as he says it that Christ reigns over uh society but you know what else all does that statism of course the idea mm. of the omnipotent all-knowing state like that also tries to throw off Christ's social reign over over reign over society. Like ultimately, a, a, honestly, a Christian libertarian approach of saying that we oppose the state because we support the supremacy of Christ solves both of these problems. Like the, he's saying that it's ultimate that that libertarianism ultimately points to this, but not necessarily so. It's going to look differently. It has to look differently. Like a Christian libertarianism, and this is what something that I've been trying to push really hard for Christian libertarians to think about. And I've gotten very few good responses. Um, I started asking very early when I became a libertarian. I said, okay, what makes a Christian libertarian, or I was part of a group called the Reformed Libertarians, and I would ask, what makes Reformed Libertarians different from other Libertarians? 
And the response I got, more often than not, was, well, we are more consistent libertarians. I don't mm. know what that means. And, but they would, I, I, like, I don't know what that means. They would say, like, well, we hold to Rothbardianism more strictly or whatever. Like, but Rothbard was an atheist. And I, I in, in, in my more puckish moments, I've been tempted to throw into, um, to throw into these Christian anarchist, Christian libertarian areas, the question, what should we make of it? The fact that Rothbard most likely is in hell. Hmm. How should that affect the way we Christians uh, look at him? And and how about the fact that from all appearances, Hoppe has not affirmed Christ as Lord. He likes the idea of a Christian society, but it seems that he still affirms agnosticism. So how do we deal with the fact that as Christian libertarians, that if Hoppe dies today, he dies in rebellion to God and will suffer the wrath of God? Or Mises, he apparently was a atheist to the day he died. Now, of course, we don't know what happened at the end of these, um, at the end of their lives. <clears throat> and with Hoppe, we still got time. And with Hoppe, we still have time, and I've got hope for him. Uh, but but what do we do with that? What 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 do we do with that? Like, we have to do something with with the fact that that libertarianism has been built on the ground of secularism and on the ground of rationalism. And, and so I think there is a point at which Christian libertarians should... And that's even the good time, kind, not, yeah. not like Randianism. Right. <laughs> and so I think in many ways we need to think of the, our relationship to libertarianism as plundering the Egyptians. Yep. The Christian libertarian needs to view general libertarianism as plundering the Egyptians. We take their good ideas and we bring them home and we and we make them into something that is God glorifying. Uh, we take the non-aggression principle and we see it as a helpful way of of political of politically viewing the sixth and eighth commandment, but we also have to acknowledge there's a seven, a five, a nine, a 10, and those are second table commandments. And, and we need to deal with those things. And, and so I guess, you know, in this point, I'm not disagreeing with him. I'm saying he's oversimplifying the problem, first of all, by assuming that libertarianism is going to end in throwing off the rule of Christ over society. But I'm going to say that we're not going to look like every other libertarian if we don't do that. And, and so I think that that is a question we need to ask is how can, what, how Christian libertarianism, if it's going to remain Christian, has to distinguish itself from general libertarianism. And I mean, even the good versions of libertarianism. Well, and a lot of what we mean by anarchism is just decentralization which at a certain level he has to agree with because he hates free trade. Right, 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 so he, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so 
He doesn't think there should be a one world government, which is good. Yeah. I don't think a Catholic can can believe that unless he thinks that the Pope should well, lead it, which most don't anymore. Um, I mean, but <laughs> Pope Francis, I don't know. He seems pretty realistic. I don't know. But, um, <clears throat> uh, and he he believes national borders are important. He believes that um, that that there's some value in in retaining a certain industry inside a certain nation, you know, like the the net the net number of uh, it's not that the net number of manufacturing jobs in the world went down, and that's what he's sad about. He's sad about it happening in America. Um, I'm assuming this is an American priest. It's a .us address after all. Um, uh, I'm assuming most of the priests that they feature are American. Um, they intentionally don't name them, by the way, so there's no way to find um, oh. find out who this is. They've they've got a defense of that on their website and everything. They intentionally okay. don't name them, name them. But um, but uh, uh, but anyway, so um, so there is um, so I'm I'm assuming it's it's the United States manufacturing loss that he's um concerned with so then just apply that like um all the same reasons <laughs> all the same reasons that 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 you are against the expansion of other of 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 like the world economic system's power over the united states that's why an iowan might be upset it might might oppose the expansion of the United States economic and political and and social power over Iowa, <laughs> as opposed to keeping a dis a distinct Iowan culture, and why I, no doxing. Um, so I'll I'll make up places uh, why someone in Davenport, Iowa, might be opposed to a homogenifying homogenizing iowan influence overcoming distinct davenport values and so on and so on all the way down yes. to the level of the family and the individual yes like that's that's what we're talking about that's yeah. what we and so so if you can understand that on the level of the nation you can understand a little bit about what we don't like about the yeah. over centralizing power of the state um especially of of large let's call them multinational states like the united states and canada yeah 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 it's what's well, interesting yeah okay let's let's keep going i'll just say yeah. this i'm <laughs> softening to this guy as this as the uh sermon goes on <laughs> after we got his crappy economic views out of the way i'm i'm kind of like okay <laughs> Oh, I knew the free trade, free love, or the free market, free love would be the one that really triggered you. <laughs> I knew once we got past that, it would it would get better. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm softening this guy once he gets. It's like, and it's kind of how I feel about conservatives generally, right? Like once I get past their crappy economic arguments, I'm like, we have more in common than <laughs> they or I think, you know. Uh, but you know, let's. Ultimately, they're still wrong, um, in my opinion. Uh, let's keep going. And yes, liberalism and religion always leads to religious indifference. You chose this picture. 
What a f- I this has nothing to do with the message. This is an aesthetic <laughs> offense. Like you went with this talk you were doing so good. He was doing so good of having like high quality pictures and then he went with this. Like dude, come on. You it's like you blew it. I don't want to watch any more of your I'm sorry. If I were just watching your video, I would want to watch nothing more of your video from this point. <laughs> I I don't know why this is offending me more than anything else. But it's yeah. truly like like that's okay. I just okay. Whatever. Uh dumb. Let's back it up. Yes, liberalism and religion always leads to religious indifferentism, which clashes with the rightful claims of Christ and the Catholic Church to have a monopoly on all saving truth and saving grace. Yeah, fair. Yeah, fair. Uh, fair. I've seen this among libertarianism. I've, I've, uh, among so-called Christian libertarians, that there's, there, it, uh, I don't think it's inevitable. I don't think it's inevitable. Um, however, I've seen it happen, and he, he, uh, he makes, he makes a good point. Like, there's, a, there is, that is a big problem. Um, and I think it's, it is an issue of, like, if you serve libertarianism more than you serve Christ, uh, it ends up happening. Like there, it does lead to somewhat religious indifferentism, like whatever he, what he calls it. Um, and that is a problem. I don't think it has anything to do with libertarianism, and has more to do with centering politics as your identity. And that's a problem that libertarians can fall into just as much as liberals, conservatives, uh, fascist, socialists, progressives, anybody. Um, just because our political view is, as you say, decentralization does not mean that we cannot over-center politics as our identity, which crowds out other identities. He's making a fair point here. I wish he spent more time uh, sussing out these points than just making them and moving on. But yeah. Hey, it's me again. We're obviously not done with the episode yet, but Jeff's headphones died and I needed more Mountain Dew, so it seemed like a good place to put a break. Once again, because of our desire to be more timely... We're going to have another couple of guest episodes. You're really going to like these ones. Just wait. Between now and the last two, because it will be two more episodes uh, before they drop and we finish this video. And I'll tell you, the further in we got, the more tired we got. And the more tired we got, the more delightfully ranty and freak outy we got. I don't know if that last one was a word, but that's what happened. We got freak outy. You're going to love it. In fact, you'll love it so much that if you want to go watch it now, you can by becoming a supporting member of the show at buymeacoffee.com slash flyover. For just $1 a month, you can have access to every live stream as they come out and find the hidden feed where we keep them for two weeks after we record them. But we're going to keep this one up for quite a while, uh, at least until every episode 
comes out the normal way. Plus, if you become a member at $1, $3, or $10 a month, you get other benefits such as hanging out with us in our secret Discord server. So go check out the, those benefits at buymeacoffee.com slash flyover, as well as the option to request an additional an episode topic for us on the anarchist Bible study or the flyover libertarian for a one-time $5 donation. And of course, rate, subscribe, uh, share, tell a friend, tell an enemy, tell a stranger, Hey, check out the anarchist Bible study. It's amazing. And if you have a question or comment, you can leave one below the video, or if you're listening or just old school, you can email us at anarchist Bible study at gmail.com. However, if you're a bot trying to sell us something, then try instead Tom Woods hater at intensetradcatholic.org. I swear it's a real email. But most of all, on behalf of Jeff, a.k.a. Come Back Next Week, I invite you to make your way back here next week when we take anarchy to church here on the Anarchist Bible Study. Grace and peace. This is where Jeff would say, Grace and peace. While I stare awkwardly into the camera. <laughs>